Grace be to you in peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Please turn your attention to our gospel lesson for today from Luke's gospel. As Jesus assures that repentant criminal and us, and in his grace we are part of his glorious eternal kingdom. We pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Do you remember what happened when the prophet Samuel went to Jesse's house to anoint the next king of Israel? Jesse's son, Eliab, his firstborn, came out. He was big and strong and he looked handsome, looked like he could be a king. God said, no, he's not the one. And each one of the other sons who were at the house came by Samuel, and God said, no, none of those, no matter how much they look kingly, they're not the one. So Samuel had to ask, don't you have any more sons? Well, yeah, there's one more. He's the little guy, the baby of the family, kind of scrawny, just a little kid. He'd, he'd never be a king, would he? So we just sent him out to tend the sheep. That was David. He's the one that God chose to be king. You ever notice how often God does that? Often throughout Scripture, he chooses the one that you would least expect, a thing that you would never imagine, as the one through whom he does his work. This week in our Bible history class at Trinity, we talked about Gideon. It's another example. God came to Gideon. Gideon responded, I'm from the weakest clan of my tribe. I'm the least of my family. How could I be the one to do anything against the Midianites? And yet, God gave him and the people of Israel a great victory through Gideon. About Moses. He was a fugitive on the run. He had killed an Egyptian taskmaster. He was out in the desert tending sheep for 40 years. And so when God came to him, Moses was saying, How can I go back to Pharaoh? And I don't even speak well. How can I tell Pharaoh to let your people go? Yet we know what God did through Moses. We're thinking of the disciples. Most of them were fishermen from Galilee, looked down on, despised by others as just unlearned people, they even spoke with a funny accent. Saul, persecuting Christians when he was called. If you would have asked those disciples to submit a resume like we do today, you probably would have picked Judas as the most qualified. Look at what God did through those whom most considered the least likely to be in God's kingdom. Think about that as you look at the cross. What do you see? There's Jesus hanging on the cross, and the sign above his head says, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. 
still remember today in symbolism in the church when you see that little placard that has I-N-R-I on it, the, the first letters of the words, the Latin words, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. The sign says, this is the King of the Jews, but he doesn't look like a king, does he? Doesn't look like anyone would consider him to be a king. Even his clothing being divided beneath the cross by the soldiers didn't give any indication of royalty. It wasn't going to be any big palace somewhere being bequeathed to his relatives when he died, not even a, a little tiny house, nothing. There was no cavalry coming to try to rescue him or at least to, to punish those who had treated him so unjustly. His crown wasn't made of gold and silver and covered with jewels. It was made of thorn branches twisted together and covered in blood. It was obvious to everyone who was passing by that that placard, this is the king of the Jews, that was sarcastic. That was a warning. If you think you can have anyone other than Caesar as your king, look at the cross. That's what we do to other kings. They're defeated, they're weak, they're dying. Unfortunately, many in our world today still look at Jesus that way. They see him on the cross and they see someone who's not worthy for them to call king. They see someone who's weak and helpless and defeated. They hear him say, love your enemies, turn the other cheek. And they say, I don't want that kind of king. If I love my enemies, if I turn the other cheek, they're just going to run me over. They're going to crucify me just all like they crucified him. I'll end up just like Jesus. I'm going to serve any king other than myself. Well, it better be a king who's powerful, who looks victorious. What do you see when you look at the cross? Do you see someone who's worthy to be called your king? One criminal on the cross next to the Jesus did see Jesus that way. In spite of the fact that he was bloodied and suffering and looked weak and defeated, he was willing to call Jesus his king. He pointed out that Jesus had done nothing wrong as he defended Jesus against his fellow criminal who was mocking him. He said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You saw Jesus through the eyes of faith. You saw past the weakness and past the suffering. You saw the power of Jesus' love. And Jesus' prayer for those who were crucifying him, Father, forgive them. Not being concerned about his self and his pain, but being concerned about his mother and entrusting her to the care of his friend John. He saw a king who was about to enter into a glorious, powerful kingdom through the portal of death, and since he was also standing at the portal of death, he wanted to enter Jesus' kingdom with him. 
look at Jesus on the cross, may the Holy Spirit always enable you to see him the way that that repentant criminal saw him. May enable you to see him, to see through the blood, through the suffering, through what looks like defeat, be able to say, he's my king. Be able to look at Jesus as one who has done nothing wrong. In fact, he's receiving the punishment that you deserve. We should be the ones who are hanging there on the cross. We should be the ones who are crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We should be moved by the Holy Spirit to admit what that repentant criminal did. Whatever is happening, as bad as it is, much worse as a punishment for our sins, but Jesus is getting that punishment for us. When you look at the cross, may the Holy Spirit enable you to see your king who went to hell and back for you. He did battle with Satan. He crushed the serpent's head. His perfect life fulfilled God's demands for perfection in your place. His innocent death paid the price that God required to set you free. In one way, we have it a lot easier than that criminal who was on the cross next to Jesus. We see a lot more. He only got to see Jesus for a couple hours in pain and agony next to him on the cross. We get to see him victorious. He died before he even heard about such a thing as the resurrection. And yet, through the eyes of faith, he saw Jesus as his king, as the one who would welcome him into a glorious kingdom at the time of his death. And, and Jesus granted his prayer of faith, saying, Amen, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Cross of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says of it, it's a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Still today, the cross elicits two different reactions, right? On the one hand, people join the thief on the one side of the cross in, in mocking the idea that lowly Jew nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago, how can that have anything to do with me and my life in the world today? If you really are a king, Jesus, if you really are the Messiah, if you really are a savior, then do something. Do something wonderful. Do something to make this world a better place, especially for me. Then maybe I'll think of you as a king. They stumble at the cross because they only see weakness shame and defeat. On the other hand, by God's grace, like another criminal, a repentant criminal, we see Jesus as our king. By God's grace, we see through the pain and the suffering. We see that Jesus is not weak and defeated. We see by grace that he's fighting a battle for us. Fighting against sin, death, and Satan. When we hear him cry out, 
it is finished. We know what that means. He's won the victory. Satan's head has been crushed. Death has been defeated. The sins of the whole world have been paid for in full. We see a king who's winning a victory, and we want to be a part of that victory. So we say, be merciful to me. Remember me. Let me be a part of your kingdom now and forever. Think of how God so often uses the most unlikely thing, the most unlikely person to do his work. That was the case in Gideon, and God told us the reason in that particular case, why he chose a man who said, I'm from the smallest clan of my tribe and I'm the least in my own family. Why he had Gideon whittle his army down to 300 men to take on 135,000 Midianites? The reason was clear. It's got to be obvious that you didn't do it. It wasn't your power, it wasn't your skill. It was God who did it. He has to get all the praise, all the thanks, all the glory. Paul says the same thing about our salvation. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has come for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. What do you see when you look at the cross? May the Holy Spirit enable you always to see what that repentant criminal saw. May he enable you to see your king, victorious for you over sin, death, and the power of the devil. May you always be moved, especially in the hour of your death, to say, Jesus, remember me. Welcome me into your kingdom. Let me live with you forever in paradise. Amen. Please stand. The peace of